right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am your host, Derek Johnson, along with our other host, Adam Drovetta, here on RCST. And uh, we're going to be joined by Zach Boyer. At 3.40 on today's show, talk a little KU football from the LJ World. We've got our third RCST Trivia Great 8 matchup coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to have another guest uh, host, Kyle Martin, will be our guest analyst for that. And should be a good one. Doug Crumpton-Murray, who's been kind of the story of this uh, tournament so far, and Ryan Brown, who's been a uh, Cinderella story so far. So that should be a good one in the Phenomenal Four. Something got- that, that didn't occur mm-hmm. to me, really, in, until... Because Doug was, was, you know, like his his first round started so, um, you know, went so, I think his first round got into the hard or the really hard, and he was impressive. But Ryan, also Cinderella story, he also has not yet to miss a question. Yeah, neither one has. It's two guys. So Crumpton Murray's been the story of the tournament, but Ryan, who still likes to insist... He's just he's just happy he didn't. Get Every the, time we the, talk to him, yeah, he's um, like, you know, he, I he just didn't want to lose. He just didn't want to get the first question, the first round wrong. Yep, is all he says. But he's through and uh, into the uh, grade eight, and neither one have missed a question so far. So that could be a fun one. Yeah, what's what's that saying? They say like, is like set a low bar, or like aim low, you know, miss lower. Or, yeah, you know, you have the saying where it's like shoot for the. Shoot for the moon, end yeah, up in the clouds, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. If know. you shoot, if you shoot, this is like the, the opposite of that. Shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll still be among yeah. the stars. This is like shoot for, you know, hopping over the curb. Yeah. And if you don't get it, you're not that mad about it because you yeah, had set, such low set expectations, a low bar. right? I, uh, <laughs> I, I prefer um, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll die of oxygen deprivation. Mm, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Um, I like the other one a little bit better. Uh, nonetheless, I um. Wanted to lead off the show. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, not a ton going on. I I, I don't know if you were watching last night. The Bucks took on the Celtics. It was Game Five, big game in Boston, and uh, looked like Boston was going to come away with a, a big win. They were up by double digits for for most of the game in the second half, and then the Bucks kind of chipped away, got back into it. Bucks eventually take a lead late, and um, something really cool happened at the end of that game. You know, we see buzzer beaters. I wouldn't say all the time, but we see buzzer beaters a good amount. You don't see games very often end the way this game ended last night. So the Bucks are up 108 to 107 on the Celtics. Celtics have the ball, uh, 15, 10 seconds, somewhere in that range. And uh, one of the Celtics players drives on Drew Holiday. I think it might have been Marcus Smart. And Drew Holiday, who's known for being one of the best defenders in the NBA, one of the best defensive guards, just blocks the shot on the kind of runner that would have given the Celtics the lead. And on top of that, after he blocks it, he it, it kind of hits off Marcus Smart, 
and he then it comes back to him as he's like falling out of bounds, and then he throws it off Marcus Smart out of bounds. He does all this within like a second's time. It, yep. a very small amount. I mean, just it just takes pure athleticism and um, just you know good reaction time uh, from from for Drew Holiday, and that helps them win the game, which is on its own just a cool play. And then the very next, uh, they go down, they hit two free throws. It's 110-107. So the Celtics still have a chance. If they go down and hit a three, this game's going to overtime. And the Celtics get the ball in to, again, I think it was Marcus Smart, and he's dribbling up the left side. And right as he's about to cross half court, Drew Holiday is like picking him up at half court, and he just immediately strips the ball from him, takes it away. And just like that, he wins the game with two amazing defensive plays. And so I bring this up because you don't see games end that way often. We've seen more games end on buzzer beaters or made free throws or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this on Twitter last night. I thought that was more fun to watch, that that was more cool than watching a buzzer beater. It it, it would depend on this the— This unique. I, I, yeah, it would definitely depend on the, the type of buzzer beater. Like, I think— let me put it this way: for me to disagree with that, the buzzer beat would have buzzer beater would have to be half court or back. I agree with that. Like, or like, like a you know crazy turnaround yeah, three yeah, yeah. or something. Like the amazing. Um, just to bring up a local one, uh, the last n- not this past season, but the, the you know the season prior. So what, what would have been the um, the twenty twenty one season? Kansas started. You know they they the. The um, conference opener winning streak was really on the line because they were down in Lubbock, and they won it on a really great play. Uh, Ochai put had a, had a game winner, right? And mm-hmm. that was a great way for him to start the season. Very exciting, but the way that game last night ended was you know was better, I think, than than a common you know buzzer beater three is great, a buzzer beater layup great, but that was. Two great defensive, great mm-hmm. defensive plays that would have been. The thing is that either of those would have been great plays in the second quarter, and they both happened to pre- preserve a small lead late. You know what I mean? Yeah. It isn't just that. Okay, those are great plays, but you know it. it you know it, it kept the Celtics from. You know it was thirty nine, thirty seven, and it, whatever. It was two amazing plays that would have been amazing at any point in the game that came to win the game. It, that was that was great. Yeah, you just don't see it often. And the fact that it came on the road, too. I mean, anytime you hit a big play on the road, it's going to silence the crowd. But that is, like, more deflating. Defense travels. Right? Um, so that was crazy. And, and I guess this, this brought me to an interesting, like, discussion that I was kind of thinking of. Like, if you could draw up your perfect play to win a game and, you know, Let's let's I guess stick this to basketball because obviously it's going to be a lot different in in all yeah. the different sports. What would it be? Like what? Drop the situation. Is it a road game where you quiet the crowd? Is it a home game where you're you're pumped up? Is it um, on a a half court shot? Is it you know I I don't know. It would be a, a close game against a rival when you're both in the top five and they don't even get a shot off because they move <laughs> too slow. Would be uh, up there for me because mm-hmm. I happen to experience that, but. Um, I don't know. I think it would be cool. Now, look, I've never been the closest, and I think you and I. Well, you may have had a closer one. I've never been in the in the situation where um, I've seen my team win on a great last, sh- you know, like end of the game play on the road. I've seen it at home a few times. You know, the the Missouri game. 
this wasn't a game winner, but I was there for my junior year was the Ben McLemore shot to tie it to force overtime against Iowa State. Um, I mean, but, Mario but Chalmers we, shot. Does that not count? I mean, I guess it didn't win the game. What do you? No, I'm saying that I was witness oh, that you in, actually in were person. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 in person. Um, you and I were at a game, and this was the closest I've ever come. My senior year, you and I, and, and a couple. Um, shout out to GJ and Tim. The four of us went down to Oklahoma City, and we had no stake in the game, so we we were not road fans. We were just neutral, and they were playing the Pelicans, and it was an amazing game. I think. Davis had a triple double. Um, Duran and Westbrook. Duran and Wet, know, yeah, 20, they both 30. went off, and I think Duran. It was his first game back from injury. Anyway, it was an amazing game, and the the Pelicans won on a buzzer beater three by Anthony Davis, and the four of us just leapt <laughs> up out of our seats and started yelling. But we didn't that, have a dog in the fight. Exactly, we were just, like, just, we were just happen, celebrating right? an amazing play. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I've been. I wasn't cheering for the road team, but I wasn't cheering for the home team either. I was just celebrating an amazing play. So I think there would be something to it. If you're there to witness it, um, to listen to how quiet the crowd suddenly gets. I think I would say buzzer beater if you're there to witness it, and here's why. Because most fans, at least in basketball, most fans are going to be quiet if their team is down two and they have the ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The home team will be quiet. So if you're at the at the point where you're down two and you're the the fan of the road team and the whole arena is going nuts because the the home team is on defense and they're trying to get a pump and distract the uh, the offense and and get them confused and all that, and then your guy cans a shot to just quiet everybody, that'd be a pretty and you're the you know you're one of maybe fifty people in the whole place who's up cheering. And you just you're like I hope I don't get killed. <laughs> that would be a cool feeling. Yeah, I mean you also have the like the uh, oh what do they call it the Suns like alley oop. I know they had a specific name for it. Um, the valley oop, something like that. Was that it? Does I that don't sound know. right. I mean, uh, that would make sense, but I I don't know. Like that that was cool. And like if you get like like imagine if you could drop a posterizing dunk as time was expiring and it just worked out that yeah, way over sweet. someone, that would be really cool. And then you'd get, like, a crowd of people who probably were like, oh, that should have been a charge and all this stuff, right? Um, I I just love the defensive plays to win the game. Like, I could have sworn that that Arizona team with Derek Williams that made the Elite Eight as, as like, a four seed, I could have sworn in the Pac-12 title game they won the game on, like, a Derek Williams block or something out of bounds. Like, that to me is just – like, that to me is almost more cool because it, it's, like – it's just this physicality, like I just physically imposed my will on you. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Most people just assume, and a lot of cases this is not just an assumption, a lot of cases this is the truth. The truth is most of the time the offense is in, in almost every sport except maybe baseball when the pitcher is in control. But in most in, in, in basketball it's absolutely, you know, the 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 you know what's typical it's not what happens 100% of the time but typically the offense is the team in control and so that that's a situation where the defense um decides you know even though they're not the ones with the ball they decide who's in control and that's that's a pretty cool thing i was telling you as we were prepping for the show um you know way way smaller level of ball but when i was one of my very first jobs i was still in college um but when Bubba Starling was playing at Gardner Edgerton, that was kind of a popular enough topic that they were able to employ uh, a local. There was a local online publication there, 
and it was a popular enough topic and getting enough page hits that they were able to employ um, a, a, a writer. And, and fortunately, that was me. And, and during a basketball game, um, it was a relatively low-scoring game, and, and Gardner was up. Gardner Edgerton, I should say, because the Edgerton people get mad if you leave them out. Um, anyway, so Gardner Edgerton was up by two, and um, Eudora was coming forward with the ball, and you know it was at Gardner, so the fans were going, you know, excited, and and Starling, who actually because of his height played center, he was six six, but Gardner didn't have much of a tall team, so he was the center slash forward. Um, but he was actually out guarding their Eudora's point guard because of his athleticism. And so he gets there and he meets him right at the top of the key and gets a steal. And there's about five seconds left, gets a steal. Uh, in, in the case of last night, it was, um, it was, um, holiday mm-hmm. just dribbled out the clock. In this case, Bubba went down and slammed it home. I told you, uh, I told Derek off, off air. I, I think if it were like an official, like state state game, they probably wouldn't have given him the the points, and Gardner would have won by two instead of four. But officially, that Gardner won that game by four. I think he probably dunked after the clock. Ultimately, it didn't matter. It was the defensive play right. that won the game. It, they, it just was different. Did they win by two or four? But there was something really cool to that because you almost always assume when you're on the when you're on offense, you're the one in control. And when the defense rips that control away from you, that's that's a really. I mean that's a that's a kick in the knackers, man. Yep. So I don't know that. I, what he did last night, like I said, I I thought it was more fun than a buzzer beater. But again, and he if did you it like, twice. Yeah. That's the great. That's the crazy thing. He did it twice. Yep. Just imposing it as well. Uh, the NFL schedule comes out tonight, and you know it's it's of interest to me in the standpoint of it's cool to see and and it, it's cool to just when it's the off season start thinking ahead, thinking about you know what games you're going to try to go to, guy get tickets to, you start predicting records if you want, but um I also don't know how much to say about it because it, it it's honestly quite amazing what the NFL has done here in terms of there is so much build just around a schedule being released. <laughs> just, yeah, I know. I mean, and there's there's leaks that that come out every now and then during the day. They have full shows on ESPN and NFL Network and everything. They're going to be happening dedicated around the schedule they're going to go through every single team Uh, they always do this and they pick every single win loss which is is like i do that so like i i don't mind doing it it's more of just an exercise just to like try to figure out how many wins a team is going to get and it's not to say that you know exactly what's going to happen in each week and, and with injuries but it is crazy to me that you do it this early on before we know have a complete picture of things kind of uh once we get to the fall and it's just like like you already know everybody that you're going to play. They already have the list out of what opponents your team is going to play and whether they're going to be at home or, or the road. So it's, yeah. it's just kind of funny. Uh, but I guess like as far as the schedule goes, is there anything like I, I don't know about you. I'm not going to watch any of the shows. I'll definitely be interested and in, I'll look on social media and see whenever it's released that the full schedule's out there and I can go through it and everything. But is there anything that you're actually looking for tonight in the schedule? No, but the only thing I, I remember being really excited because it was back in the it was spring of ten, so the Chiefs were awful. They'd come they'd come off a four and twelve season and it was like their third or fourth straight year of finishing four and twelve or worse. Um that was that was a fun schedule release simply and I, I didn't anticipate the schedule release. It was more that that night they announced that uh, Kansas City was getting a Monday night football game. Um, and then when when Alex Smith was here and, and the Chiefs were kind of consistently between like 
nine to 12 wins and they were consistently going to the playoffs but not Super Bowl contenders, it was like, okay, are the Chiefs going to get, you know, you know they're going to get multiple primetime games. It's like, okay, are they going to get two road primetime games and one home primetime game or will they get two road or two home primetime and one on the road? In which case, like you said, you plan buying your tickets. At this point, with where the Chiefs are, when the fact that they've got, as we just saw that Formula One race, they've got a quarterback who's hanging out with David Beckham and Serena Williams at Formula One races, um, you know you're getting the max a lot. I thought that was Paulo Bancaro. What do you mean? Did you not get the reference? No. Okay. I'll, uh, uh, basically, there was a, a guy from uh, Sky Sports who does the, uh, I don't know, broadcast or something, and he... Uh, he went up to a guy he thought was Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and was like, Patrick, Patrick. And the guy like wasn't turning around. And he's like, excuse me. And he finally gets him to turn around. And it's Paulo Bancaro. Oh, great. No. From Duke and, you know, going to be a top, I don't know, three or four pick. In the yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like asking him questions. And then it's like the second or third question. He goes, you know, I just realized you're not Patrick. I'm sorry. Oh, my and he gosh. just like leaves. He doesn't like know at all who the guy is, which, you, you know, I hope. Funny. Part of me hopes that. Bancaro now turns into an NBA MVP caliber player just because <laughs> then he can look back and be like, yeah, look at that now. No, I mean, it, look, if it was Paulo Bancaro, then the whoever runs Chiefs tweety, uh, tw- uh, Twitter needs to uh, mm-hmm. needs to be fired because they tweeted the picture. So, But regardless, to the point I was making, right, you know, the, the even the, 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 you know, how many primetime games are there going to be, that's not even a, a big factor anymore because you know you're going to get the max number. Because you're a, you're a Super Bowl contender with the one of, if not the biggest name. If you're not the biggest, it's the second biggest behind Tom Brady name in the in the in the NFL. So no, nothing about it really. Um, I'm I'm you know it really interests me, and you know I'll see it, and you know I still, you know I my biggest I I for me I I always remember learning about the schedule by going to the grocery store and seeing the pocket. <laughs> When you when the pocket schedule comes out and you grab that for free at the cash register, well, um, I for me it's it's kind of like it's two things. It's to your point on the national TV games because you know that you're going to get as many as possible, like you said with Patrick Mahomes. But just knowing when they are, who you're playing, and just seeing those games like that is cool. To know. And what what they're on is it Monday night? Is it the Sunday night ones? Right? Like those are those are cool to look at for me. And then the other thing for me is always when is the bye week? That's the one thing that we don't know headed in because. You know, I, and I don't know. Does it really matter when the bye week is? I, I'd love to see, like, actually a study on this going back. I don't know if there is one somewhere of, like, teams that have bye weeks early on versus later on versus in the middle. How healthy are they in the playoffs? Things like that. Yeah. I would just think off the top of my head I would want the bye week to be more in the middle of the I, season. I mean, that's what Reed says, and he seems to know football, so right. I'll, I'll go with that. At the very least, I wouldn't want it at the beginning. I wouldn't want to be, like, no, the first you, team with it, right? If I, if I had to choose, if you said can't have it in, you know, like, around Halloween or, like, whatever. If you can't have it at week eight, you know, you've got to choose week three or week 12, I'd take, take week 12. 12. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's kind of of interest to me. But I will say there have been some games that have either the NFL has just straight up released because they, they've been kind of doing this, like, slow release, like, we'll, we'll give a game here or there. The Amazon, it all started with the, because they wanted to, the newness of the Amazon broadcast. Yeah, and then they also have been some other games that have been leaked by a couple different media people. So here are the ones that I've seen so far. Uh, the week two, this was confirmed at the NFL draft. So this is straight from the NFL. Week two, they had their home opener on Thursday night against the LA Chargers. So we know that. Um, week one, they're going to be obviously on the road if they said week two is the home opener. 
we know they'll be on the road in week one. We, I, I thought we saw something leak that we may know. Not like just you and me. I'm saying I thought on Twitter I saw something that it's Houston. Yeah, there was a leak from someone, and I don't know how credible it was that it could be at Houston to open up the season. So I I guess that's what we, we kind of expect, but we'll wait and see. Um, the NFL also released this one today that the Buccaneers are going to host the Chiefs. Oh, so four. that was the NFL. Yeah, the I NFL thought that was just it. a report. So that's okay. So that's confirmed. So we can confirm two. Yep. Uh, so week four, it'll be Kansas City in Tampa Bay on Sunday Night Football. That'll be week four. Can I just say, I I normally, well, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna qualify this. I'm gonna brag because I I hate people that just argue when you know more. And I got into it with people on Twitter. I I said, and look, I need to give credit where credits due. Um. But it, I I knew this from past games. I knew that the Chiefs, by giving up their home game in um, London in fifteen, they the the NFL because the Chiefs gave up a home game. The NFL um, kind of worked with them as far as what a opponent it would be, and that's why they wound up playing the Lions and not a higher profile team. And so. There was all this, oh, no, it's going to be the Bucks and the Chiefs in, in Germany, no doubt about it. And I go, no, it's not. As soon as Tom Brady announced he's coming back, the NFL, just like they work with every team who gives up a home game for an international game, they're going to work with the Bucks. And the Bucks were not going to let that game leave Tampa. Right. So that ends up being week four. Um, week five, the rest of these are all reported by certain people. Danny Parkins, who used to work in Kansas City, was 6'10". Now he's working up guy in Chicago. Now, yeah. yeah. He... Uh, reported the Chiefs will be playing week five on Monday night football against the Las Vegas Raiders. That'll okay. be a home game. Um, so it'll be back-to-back primetime games. The next week, week six, again, this according to Danny Parkins, will be the Chiefs playing at home against the Buffalo Bills. That'll be a big one. That's got... Which I thought they were playing at Buffalo, so I don't know. Um, nonetheless. We'll double-check. I'll say this. That, that could very well be... Because I know CBS... Um, that may not that may be too early in the season to flex anyway. But either way, CBS has a certain and Fox. They each have a certain number of games that contractually they can say, "No, we're not going to let you flex that one." Um, if that's not already a Sunday night or Monday night game, that's that's going to be the the three twenty five CBS game. There's no doubt in my mind. That'll be the Jim Nance Tony Romo game. Yeah, I guess they are at home. Uh, so that one's good there. Uh, week nine, this one also reported by Danny Parkins. The Chiefs at home against the Tennessee Titans. That one on Sunday Night Football. Week twelve, this one according to Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride. The Chiefs hosting the L.A. Rams on a Sunday non primetime game. So again, probably in that like CBS window. Uh, three o'clock or something Unless like it's that. Because did you say there's the Rams? Yeah, there's a chance they could play on Fox also. Because yeah, an that's NFC true. Team. That's true. Um, I'll say this one thing. I, I going back to what we said. A small thing I'm interested in, and not interested enough to um, uh, watch the show, but I am interested in seeing what the Monday night games are because ESPN put out a heap of money mm-hmm. to change up their 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 Monday night football broadcast crew which tells me they're probably going to start spending some money to get better games because as soon as Al Michaels and John Madden went to NBC, that beat Sunday Night Football became the place for the biggest games. Well, it still feels like that here. We said the Sunday Night game so far, Tampa Bay and Tennessee, the yeah, Monday Night yeah, is against yeah, the Raiders, exactly. right? Exactly, so that kind of tells you that Sunday Night still seems to have the, the edge. And the last two that have been reported, Pete Sweeney for Week 13, Chiefs at Bengals. 
Week 14, this one by Danny Parkins. Again, a Sunday night game, Kansas City at Denver. So that is a tough stretch at the end of the year. Week 12 versus the Rams, 13 at the Bengals, 14 at Denver. And, and that's one of those where in previous years you could look at that and go, there's a chance that that gets flexed out of Sunday night because the Chiefs by then um, in, in past years could have had you know a three-game lead on the division and they'd put a you know like a Bengals Steelers or you know a game that's closer in in whatever division and move that to Sunday night football. I doubt that happens because I don't think anybody's running away with this division. So I don't think that game gets flexed out. All right, we got to take a break here. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Zach Boyer joins the show in about ten minutes. This is RCST. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, that's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on your Thursday. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 on the AM dial or KLWN.com. Zach Boyer of the LJ World, KUSports.com, joins us now on the show. KU's had a lot of uh, visitors come in. Over the last couple of days, it feels like every time I open up Twitter or something, I see a new one that, that's on campus for KU. So, uh, Zach, I know you've been kind of documenting this and keeping track of it. Who, who's been visiting KU right now, and, and what would they possibly bring to the Jayhawks? Yeah, Derek, I mean, if you look at what uh, Kansas has had on campus the last few days, it's a pretty impressive crop of players, all things considered. Um, they've got uh, two safeties who took official visits on Beginning on Monday, uh, lasting through yesterday, uh, Marvin Clark is a uh, four-star prospect in the class of 2019 who was playing at Purdue, who was a 13-game starter for them last year. Um, certainly a player that you'd want to get at Kansas if only because of the experience and the fact that he has three years of eligibility remaining. And then they also had another safety in Kane Williams, who was a true freshman last year at Alabama. So certainly a, a an eye-opening name, uh, possibly transfer in uh, and, and Williams there. Um, he only played in one game, only played a handful of special team snaps, but that game was the national championship game, though. So they're trusting him in a big moment um, when somebody's going down on teams. Um, so when he comes in, uh, he would have uh, just uh, four years of experience, uh, four years of availability remaining, rather, uh, because he would not have been getting the COVID year since he was not in school then, but he will be eligible for a red shirt from last year. So he's certainly a, a player to watch. And then uh, kind of the third big-name guy is a gentleman from Arizona State named L.V. Uh, Bunkley Shelton, who you might have known if you watched any Pac-12 football. He was uh, one of their top receivers last year. Um, was a guy who came out of college or out of high school, rather into college, picked Arizona State, but he had almost every top uh, school in the country after him. Ohio State had offered almost every Pac-12 school had offered uh, Florida, Florida State, so on forth. So 
uh, three guys who have definitely uh, arrived in college with some degree of hype, some degree of high school accolades. Um, they all went uh, visiting Monday through Wednesday. None of them were able to commit, though. Uh, I'm sure they were able to, but none of them did commit. Uh, so it's still a wait-and-see mode for, for all three. They, they plan to take uh, further visits before they make their decisions, but certainly three guys who Kansas certainly would have loved to have gotten a commitment from and at least loved having on campus. Uh, does does this group of players that they brought in, does it give you any sense of a, a theme or anything like that? Like, what do these players, I guess, tell us about what KU is still looking to do in the portal, whether it's position-wise or, or do you think this is just, hey, let's just whatever best players we can get in to bring for a visit, let's do that? Yeah, it's not that simple, Derek. It's mostly they're, they're looking at, you know, who is uh, fitting uh, positions of need, right? They need defensive backs. You know, they have... At uh, safety, especially, they have one bona fide starter in Kenny Logan, who led the, the Big 12 in tackles last year. And then beyond that, they have uh, three guys who are going to go into their true sophomore season, who played a ton of snaps last year, um, but are you know a little bit green still at this point. So they want somebody like Clark. If you get, if you can add alongside Logan, a guy who started 13 games at Purdue last year, still has somebody who's uh, got plenty of eligibility left. Um, that's going to be a bonus for them, at least for competition's sake. Um, so they're looking at safeties. You know, they're still looking um, at offensive line. They're still looking at wide receiver, obviously, with Bunkley Shelton. Um, they need some impact players there. So what they're, they're just trying to find, what are the top positions of importance? Um, I throw defensive end, I think, in that, in that list, too. Um, what are the top positions of importance that they can get an impact player at? And, you know, looking at the calendar, the time is dwindling. You know, I don't think that they thought three players of this caliber would be available at this time of year, and I'm sure that they are certainly excited to be able to, to, to pursue these guys. Um, but they are very methodically taking an approach to filling up their remaining scholarships with guys who they think can at very least compete and potentially compete to start. So which of those players that you all mentioned, is, is there one that sticks out the most in that you think it would, it would create the biggest impact for KU, whether it's just because he's the best player or because it would fit into a nice uh, position of need? Well, I think Kane Williams, the Alabama guy, is probably further down the list um, because of his, his inexperience, right? He didn't play a substantive role in college at all at this point. But if you look at Clark, the safety from Purdue, and with Bunkley Shelton at Arizona State, those are guys who were counted on to play massive roles for their teams last year. So when you're looking at a situation at safety where you've got you know four guys alongside Logan who are true sophomores who will be asked to start the first time for the first time, and you look at the wide receiver situation with – four guys who had uh, between 15 and 27 catches last year, and that's all you've got in terms of experience. Any, either, either Clark or Bunkley Shell and those guys coming in would, would certainly make an impact. And, and you can't you know, also discount the fact that Minnesota did land Doug, or, uh, uh, Kansas did land Minnesota's Doug Emelian you know, last week, a uh, wide receiver from, from Minnesota. So he didn't play either. He, didn't, he played just a handful of snaps last year, but he's also somebody who is going to compete, um, push to compete to start there. Um, so anybody who can make an impact, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, what, I can't imagine it would be Williams. I think he's more of a, of a depth play for them because of his inexperience. Um, but I think Clark or Buckley Sheldon, if they were to, to offer their word, um, could certainly be somebody who would catch somebody's eyes. Davion Westmoreland committing to mm-hmm. KU on the defensive line from the JUCO ranks. You you mentioned a week ago that you thought KU was was still going to be in on you know a possible defensive lineman to add more there. Do you think they're done now, or do you think there's still possibly more that could come on that D line? I, I do. I, I do believe 
uh, defensive end is going to be a situation where they could watch to see who else is out there. Um, they did offer another Juco uh, defensive lineman or defensive end this morning. Um, I forget his name. Unfortunately, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, but, but he's somebody who is certainly, if they're offering a defensive lineman, a defensive end at this point, they're, they're certainly interested in, in getting somebody else on campus. Westmoreland, I think is an interesting player. Um, I talked to, to Drew Dallas, his, his, uh, coach at Hutchinson Community College last week, uh, when he committed. Um, I think it was actually Monday to show how much this time is, this week has been a little chaotic, but, um, you know, he said they're getting somebody who's going to make an instant impact. Um, somebody who's aggressive, who always is around the quarterback, who has uh, pure instincts, you know, really good hand placement, knows how to, to beat uh, alignment with speed, um, which is certainly what you want out of a defensive end. But I think the thing with him is um, he might have those intangibles. He might have those, those skills that you need uh, to get to a quarterback. But he's also a guy who, at his stage, there's a reason why he's committing to play for KU on what is it going to be, May 9th as opposed to at the end of the JUCO season like a lot of other players did. So I think that he's more of a project. Um, I think he's somebody who's going to be able to take the redshirt year that he still has available to him, maybe redshirt this year, um, and then come back uh, to finish out his last three. Um, but they, they definitely need pass rushers, right? I mean, they lose Kyron Johnson. They've got Malcolm Lee. They've got Jeremy Robinson. They've got players who can, can fill that role. Lonnie Phelps is, is a guy who a lot of expected of because he came from – uh, Miami of Ohio transferred in in January, pretty highly regarded after the the season he had last year for the Red Hawks. Um, but when you look at what they need, they need another defensive end. Westmoreland is going to be part of the answer. I don't think he's the entire answer, um, and certainly uh, they're they're not convinced of that necessarily either. We're talking with Zach Boyer here of the LJ World and KUSports.com. Uh, Bet Rivers released the over under win totals for Big Twelve teams. Kansas was set at two and a half. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's that's a fair expectation? Well, I think it's a fair expectation if you look historically, right? They haven't won more than three games in what's it been thirteen years. But you know, when you also look at these situations, history doesn't matter, right? These are independent events. So the bookmakers have decided that's what Kansas is gonna gonna be able to pull off this year. I, do I think it's fair? Um, I don't think it's unfair. But I mean, if you talk to the people around this program who obviously are incredibly confident in themselves, they will always point back to between Texas and then finishing the season against TCU and West Virginia and those losses as a point where it seems like those were the start of something special. So they're confident in what they can get done. They believe that they're better than last year's record showed. Will that translate to this year? I mean, I don't know. You look at, I mean, week two, they're going to play Houston, which is going to be a top 15 team. Week three, they're going to play West Virginia, which is, historically a pretty good team, kind of a little bit of a mess lately. But you could start off a season with all that good mojo and go right into a situation like that. That's not really going to be ideal for them. So if you look on down through the rest of the Big 12 schedule and you want to try to project wins, you could play that game if you want to. So I think two and a half is fair. I might take the over, but I might take the over on the technicality that it might just end up being three. On that same topic, Derek and I discussed this off the air yesterday. Um, Would you agree? So we both to give away maybe something we may talk about later in the show, we both kind of <laughs> leaned over uh, over as well with three, but would you agree? I'll just put this out there. I believe two is more likely than four. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're looking at four wins on that schedule, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm going to struggle to get it off the top of my head. But you're looking at your opener, uh, and then you're looking at... I mean, I, mean, would, I don't know what else. You would immediately, to qualify for that, you'd immediately have to beat the 1AA team and then uh, Duke. 
And then your third non-con is Houston, which is a going to be a. I mean, that's yeah. going to be a Power Five team soon. And then you've got the Big Twelve after that. Right. So I mean, and, and Duke is no slouch, right? I mean, Duke. Was yeah, that's not year, a guaranteed but, win. Know. But if you're getting to four, no. you got to beat them. Yeah, you've got to beat them, and you've got to pick off. I mean, who are you going to pick off in the conference then, too? I mean, there's always one. There's always one game, and you can play this game every year, and I always usually do. But there's always one game that goes the opposite of the way you expect, and there's always, in, in terms of a win turning into a loss. There's also one guaranteed loss that you think turns into a win. So maybe with this team, that hasn't always been the case. But if you look around most of sports, you know, NFL schedule releases tonight, everybody's going to be playing that game, right? But, yeah, I mean, four is, look, if they've got things figured out as much as they think they do, and they're confident, right, four is not out of the question. But that's more of an internal confidence, I think, at this point than an external confidence because I can't really find four, if we're being honest. Okay, well, then what about this question? What do you think would be more likely, KU winning one game or four games? Oh, I, I still think one game. And I think one game, though, one win is a massive disaster. Um, but I, I, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, right, one game does not build the momentum, does not give the good feeling in everybody's mouth. But, um, yeah, I still think four is hard. I think four is very, very difficult. You know, cold takes, the Twitter account's going to have me back on probably in November laughing about this. But uh, I'm trying to avoid that. But I, I just think because I don't think four is very likely, I think one is going to be by default the winner. But I just don't think – I think probably two or three is, is the happy the happy medium, the answer there. If you're getting made fun of on Twitter because KU wins four games, I'll get you a beer. <laughs> I'll, you and I will go to 23rd Street and I'll pay. I've certainly been made fun of on Twitter for worse. So, hey, I mean, that's probably an improvement at this point, right? Right. Well, something you said there that I think is interesting, because I I agree with you. If they only win one game, I think that would be very much a disappointment. Let's say they win two games, um, because at that point, it's, you know, I don't know. Is that going to be viewed as, like, stalling based on they won the same amount of games the year before? Or do you think we would look back on it and say, well, Last year was really more of year zero because of how late Lance Leipold took over in the game, and this was really year one. How do you think that would be perceived if you could uh, kind of take the crystal ball and look ahead in the future and KU wins the exact same amount of games with two games this next year? Yeah, I think last year is definitely a week, a year zero, week zero, year zero thing in my mind because of just the, the scattershot nature of how the season unfolds, right? In addition to the, the bounce back from the pandemic, you've got Leipold coming in, not being able to install any of the system really until fall camp. That's not when you want to be doing that, right? There's a reason why coaches are hired earlier in the cycle so they can get in there, they can get the spring ball in, they can get the recruits in, they can get all that stuff going. And you saw what he did this year, right? I mean, eight guys who enrolled at mid-year who transferred in to get ready for spring ball in January so they could be able to make an impact come a fall, fall camp. Um, so there's certainly a reason why you want those coaches in there to, to do that, and they didn't get that afforded to them last year. So do I think it would be a step back if they won two games? I do not. Now, the perception is obviously going to be that there's something flatlining there because it'll be the same as last year, right? This two wins is not by any stretch of an imagination a victory for anybody. But the people who are in the program, the people who are around the program, who follow the program, with two wins, would probably see a team that's more inspired, full of, I mean, again, this is still going to be a team full of underclassmen. Um, and so there would be a lot of things to point to, if not only on the scoreboard, when you won't see 49 to nothing, 49 to 7, 42 to 7 at the beginning of the third quarter. You're not going to see those things anymore. You'll see, you know, 24 to 10 or, or 24 to 17, I think will be a lot more common. So when you look at those things, that will be the indication of where the progress is. You're, you're losing games by a closer margin because you've got to stop the blowouts. After the blowouts come the close losses. After the close losses come the toss-ups. 
After that comes the close wins and then the actual blowout wins. And that's a, that's a process. So, sure. I mean, if they win two games, people around the country are going to like, hey, this Kansas winning two games again and think of it as an afterthought. But if you look at the scores and you look at the way that the players are able to compete, I think that's how you'll evaluate whether or not they're being successful. Well, that brings up an interesting question that I remember we asked about a month ago. Um, so I'm just going to ask it to you. Uh, what do you think would be a more beneficial season for KU trying to build the program up? Would it be going 2-10, and 10, but all of those losses are kind of what you're talking about? Like you can sense then competing at a high level and, and a lot of, if not most of those losses are, you know, one or two score losses. Or do you think it would be better to win four games and kind of break through, but all eight of the losses are just blowouts? Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I do think that's where you're going to have with that question. Um, I mean, look, four wins is four wins, right? And when you really start looking at things, if you're, if you're winning four games, ultimately what you're trying to do is bring some buzz back to the program. So if you can send fans home with satisfaction one-third of the season, that's a, that's a much better situation than any of them have been in in a long time. You know, you're getting recruits who are noticing, okay, you know what? Zero, then two, then four, something's building here. You know, every single of these guys who's committed to the program to transfer the last two weeks, They've all mentioned that they want to be part of building something, which is a unique trait to have, right? But, like, there are people who are in this situation, these players are interested in being part of the foundation. And if you can then sell that the foundation is being laid or has at least been laid, and you can now build the house on top of it, start pulling those frames up, start figuring out, you know, where the rest of these boards are going to go, that's where guys are going to get involved. So I think... I think four wins, even with a bunch of blowout losses, is excusable because it was four wins. You can look past the blowout losses. With two wins, it's hard to be like, well, we were close because the ultimate goal is to win games, and you're still not winning games. I think four is going to be a little more eye-catching. He is Zach Boyer. Check out his work, KUSports.com and the LJ World. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Zach, one last thing. If we got ice cream and I asked you if you wanted Jimmy's, would you know what that meant? Yeah, it means sprinkles. Yeah, I've been looking yeah. up some uh, some some New England uh, some New England slang to see if I uh, to to I'd never heard that term before. So, so I had never. I got to be honest with you. I don't think that's a New England thing either. I just knew that, but I don't think that's. I've never heard it called that. We always just call them sprinkles. Some oh. people would call them shots. Some people call them shouts, which I thought was really weird. But I, 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 I just well then then the only then place shame, that I've heard shame it before. On, shame on this article. Well, no, to Zach's point. A, uh, to Zach's point, the only place I've heard it before is on the TV show Friday Night Lights, which is in Texas. Oh, well, okay. shame, on, shame on this article saying it's an it's a New England term. Huh? Well, Texas is in New England, though, right? <laughs> yeah, right. How about this? And then uh, Paris, Texas. Very, very quick. Uh, would would it would you be insulted by the term nutmegger? Uh, no, because we don't really have one, right? Like, what do you? Uh, what a kinetic cutter? Like that's stupid. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, <laughs> I um, no. If that's what you got, that's what you got. I'll wear that. I, I must really prefer, great, I, for obvious reasons, I prefer Jayhawker over Kansan. I don't mind Kansan, but I prefer Jayhawker. Yeah, because there's a third one for, I mean, we've gone, we've lost the plot here, but there's another thing that Connecticut people are <laughs> called, and I don't really know what it is, but I don't think it's delightful either, so otherwise it would stick in my mind. Mm, I think I think I can say that's it. Right. Can I say masshole on air? Yeah, I did anyway. Well, that's Massachusetts. Uh, well, close enough. Anyway. Well, Zach, you are uh, certainly delightful, so you don't have to worry about any of that. We appreciate you hopping on today uh, just as you did last week. Thanks, man.
Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's Zach Boyer, LJ World, KUSports.com. Check out all his great work covering the KU football team. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. We'll be back at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. More RCST trivia, our next grade 8 matchup. Feeling like Bon Jovi. We are halfway there. Is that Bon Jovi? Living on a prayer? Halfway there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. Yeah. I got the right song. I don't sound like an idiot. Um, we are halfway through the grade eight on to the Phenomenal Four. Uh, we'll go one more contestant today, and then we have one more matchup tomorrow. It's between the eight seed, Doug Crumpton Murray, who has emerged as the star of this tournament and rocking that KU blazer that we love seeing every time that Doug comes on. Ryan Brown, the 14 seed, who at this point is the lowest remaining seed. He is the the last Cinderella available, and uh, we've called him sandbagging Ryan because he's downplayed how good at trivia he is, and he has just been a powerhouse working his way into the grade eight. Once again, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kurt Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, CBD of Lawrence, Pella Windows and Doors, RockTruck.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros. We've also got a guest analyst on with us in Kyle Martin, a three-time trivia contestant. He's one of three to make the Sizzling 16 all three years. So uh, before we get into the contestants here with with Doug and Ryan, Kyle, um, what's kind of the, I, I don't know, do, does it feel like every matchup, the further you go, ramps up a little bit more, or is is kind of the feeling the same between every game that you, you play? Uh yeah, I think it depends, right? I mean, first of all, this is my first appearance in a grade eight. Uh, so so welcome, everybody. Uh, it's cool to be here. I like what you've done with the place, Derek. This is nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, as you move forward, I, I do think um, depending on matchups, right, it could ramp up. But also, I think some of the pressure, you know, for, for some of these more seasoned people might go away a bit because I think it's the first round. You don't want to get beat early on. You know, you don't want to uh, look like you don't know what you're doing on, on the radio. And then uh, as you move forward and get the the trivia juices flowing and get the competition ramped up, you know, you get you get tougher opponents and it becomes a more uh, competitive atmosphere. And I know you've been listening to some of the other trivia events. So what was your thought when you when you heard both of these contestants, Ryan and Doug, along their way? They're they're studs, right? I mean, I think when you you put out the stats earlier this week, neither one's missed a question, right? So they're just mm-hmm. like they're rolling through. Um, they know their stuff, uh, and I'm I'm really excited about today. Um, not only to to hear how they do, but because your your first two grade eight matchups, uh, not not as good, right? <laughs> so like we've only gone three rounds in each. Um, you know, Nick's a, a responsible for a big part of that, I believe. But you know, um, you know, beyond his inability to answer anything hard. Uh, these guys should definitely uh, move past three rounds, and I'm looking forward to a, a great matchup today. Well, let's uh, reintroduce the contestants. Ryan, you are the 14 seed, and um, like we said, of you, you've just kind of rolled through. You haven't missed a question, just like Doug to this point. Uh, I've got to ask, is, is this a better showing than you were expecting coming into this thing? By far. By far. <laughs> I am. Um... I was telling somebody the other day that I think I've known the answers to about 20% of the questions that my opponent has been asked. It's just been, I've been very lucky. Well, I got to ask your, your Twitter account is RB Jayhawk. Are you a big fan of Arby's? What, what goes into that name? Initials. Okay. That makes more sense. RB. 
That makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. It's that, spelled that really? like the well, it's spelled like oh, it's Arby, spelled like the restaurant. But now okay, that you say okay. it out loud, it, it I thought makes he, sense. I thought right. it was just the letters R yeah. and B. I was and just I was curious. Like, okay, I don't know. Uh, well, Big fan spells, of the beef and cheddar. I, well, right. who isn't really? <laughs> yeah. um, Doug, uh, we've talked to you coming out of Fresno, uh, elementary school teacher, and and you sent some really cool pictures because we've been talking about your mom and and you know how she. Gives the brownies to all the players and stuff, and you sent some really cool pictures to our Twitter account of you know your mom and the team and everything, and, and we really appreciated seeing those. Those were awesome to look at. Um, so, have you talked with your mom in between tournament matchups? Has she given you any words of advice or words of encouragement? Uh, I've definitely talked to her. Um, she's she's encouraging all the way. Um, she's enjoying just being a part of it. So it's fun. It's great. Does does she feel like she's winning as you went along in this tournament as well? Oh yeah, no, it's a team thing for sure. You know, so so it's it, it's fantastic. I I, I like that um, the Drew Gooden picture going all the way back where she's handing the brownies to Drew Gooden just to give a feel of how long she's been doing it, man. And she you know she's the best. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. So uh, the winner of this will move on to the phenomenal four. You guys have already received a, a good amount of prizes. The prize is up for grabs. Today, a Phenomenal Four trophy and engraved RCST water bottle from Jayhawk Trophy. You can get all your trophies, plaques, or any special award done with Jayhawk Trophy in Lawrence. And they're not just trophy makers. They're experts in custom engraving. You get another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, our title sponsor. Every round you advance, you get another $25 gift card to the brewery. Uh, from the dine-in, carry-out, catering options, you can go check out the outdoor patio with the weather warming up. All the food and beer is delicious at the brewery. You get an RCST hat with a Phenomenal Four logo on the side of it, and you get auto a one seed into next year's edition of RCST Trivia. So with that said, let's go ahead and cue the music, get into our matchup here with a Phenomenal Four spot on the line. And Ryan, you are the lower seed, so you have the option. Would you rather go first or go second? I'm going to stick with going second. All right. Yep, I've said this many times. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what I subscribe to. That means, Doug, you are up first into the easy column we go. Doug, what 11 seed did Kansas lose to in the Elite Eight of the 2011 NCAA tournament? That would be VCU. Yep, Shaka Smart. Uh, made a lot of money off that. <laughs> so that was the uh, that was the correct answer, but based on the game, I just want to... Yeah, that was. Let's forget about that yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Okay, on to you, Ryan. Kansas beat what team from the Big Ten in the 2012 Final Four? Ohio State. Yep, they were down pretty big in that one. That was, uh, yeah, there were um, a few games that year in the tournament. Well, not just in the tournament, in the in the season that mm. they found themselves down by quite a bit and pulled it out. Yep, notable regular season one. All right, on to the medium round. Again, the only difference between this round and others, we double down on the medium and hard. Let's see if we can get out of the medium. We haven't done that yet, as Kyle alluded to earlier. Back to you, Doug. In the 1994 NCAA tournament, Kansas overcame 16 points and 15 rebounds from Tim Duncan to down what ACC school by a score of 69 to 58? Wake Forest. Yep. Add him to the list of uh, all-time NBA greats that Kansas beat in the NCAA tournament. It's you know, Stephen quite Curry, the list, right? Yeah. Uh, who uh, knows? Jason Kidd was on, is on that Jason list. Kidd, yep. yeah. The list goes on and on and on. All right, on to you, Ryan. In the 1994 NCAA tournament, 
Kansas won 102-73 to over a 13 seed that also happened to be a 13 seed in this year's tournament led by Silvio DeSosa. What team did they play? Uh, UT Chattanooga? Yep. Chattanooga would have been acceptable as well, but you get bonus points for uh, giving the full college name there. All right, back to you, Doug, in the medium round. Led by Jarrett Jack, what team did Kansas lose to in the 2004 Elite Eight, 79-71 to 71 in overtime? That would be Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Man. That brought my all-time KU game record that I was at in person to uh... – I believe that would have made it uh, five and one. Mm. I'd seen was in, your first in, one. I, yeah, it was my first. The first loss I witnessed in person. There's that, a uh, one. alternate universe out there where KU wins that game in overtime. Who knows? Maybe they win the title in Bill Self's first year, and then who knows what happens? Yeah, from I'll there, say right? this: that that Oklahoma State team they would have played in the Final Four was, n- I mean, not a good matchup. They no. they drummed Kansas earlier in the regular season. That Oklahoma State team did. All right, back to you, Ryan. Led by Aaron Aflalo. What team did Kansas lose to in the 2007 Elite Eight? UCLA. Just all sorts of missed layups. KU starting things off with a lead. They were making alley-oop reverse dunks, and I was thinking this is going to be sweet, (laughs) and then they just stopped making points at all. All right, we're on to the hard round. We're going to change up the intensity, change up the music. For the first time in the uh, grade eight so far, Kyle, pulse check here. Um, what does this do when, when you hear the more intense music or when you get to the hard round? Do the nerves ramp up or, or at this point in the event when you've already answered some questions, are they kind of gone and you're just in focus mode? I think you're in focus mode now. Nerves are gone. These guys should be ready to answer one by one. They might get nervous. Like if Doug misses something, maybe maybe Ryan gets all anxious to, <laughs> to knock him out, um, vice versa. But, but, yeah, these guys are locked in. They're ready for me to stop talking. Let me ask you this, and I'm gonna start. T- I'm gonna start talking to keep them waiting. Uh, if we're if we're gonna do this now, like, they'll have nerves. Yeah, if we're gonna do this like CBS does and bring on a guest analyst when we get to this round, uh, do we really want to do it like CBS does and start promoting the Masters during RCST? Yeah, trivia? we're gonna have RCST golf next yeah. week. Uh, I don't know what that entails. All right, Doug, back to you. Mitch Lightfoot became the second Jayhawks scholarship player to make two Final Fours under Bill Self. Who was the first? Ten seconds. Throw something out. Jeremy Case. Not a bad guess because he was on the 08 team. The correct answer is Connor Tehan. Connor Tehan on the 08 and 2012 Final Four teams, and then Mitch Lightfoot on the 18 and 22. And it was a talking point because Chris Tehan was on the 18 and 22 team, yep. so he was a non-scholarship yeah. player, right? All right, chance for you, Ryan, to do what nobody else has done and a chance to make the Phenomenal Four without missing an entire question. This member of the 2008 national title team did not play in the championship game and began his collegiate career at USC before transferring to KU. What's his name? Uh, 
Roderick Stewart. And just like that, wow. Ryan has sandbagged his way to the phenomenal four. He has yet to miss a question. I don't believe you. You said yeah, you don't is, know the answer to 20% of your, your opponent's you're answers. I don't believe us, you. I don't Ryan. believe you. I did not know the team. Okay. Of course. Uh, of course. He did. I, I, Roderick Stewart very famously went up for a dunk during practice, came down, and all of a sudden his knee looked like a crater on the moon. Mm -hmm. Doug, did you know the answer to the Roderick Stewart one? Yes, I did. Oh, unfortunate there. Did after hearing Connor Tehan was the answer to your uh, your first one, is that one that you just wouldn't have gotten to, or is it one that just popped the light bulb up? I just didn't have it. Yep. Unfortunate there, and sometimes the order of the questions can do you in, and maybe that was the difference for Ryan to uh, move on. But certainly, Doug, you have been a storyline contestant in this event, and uh, I know we look forward to meeting your mom. I know we look forward to having you back in RCST Trivia. Um, I know you're going to have a much higher seed, so that's something to look forward to in the future. And you've collected a lot of good prizes that, you know, hopefully you have somebody in town or whether you come in town can come pick up to to gather up and we appreciate you sharing your story and like i said we we look forward to getting to know you more over the coming years in trivia hey guys it's been a lot of fun um disappointing way to end but you know it's like that sometimes uh ryan best of luck uh, in the final four and uh had a great time thank you very much ryan you are moving on to that uh phenomenal four here uh what's your what's your level of emotions right now i disbelief i started out i wanted to not lose in the easy question that's all i wanted to get out of today so uh or not miss the first one and um again you know i didn't know tn but i knew roderick knee roderick knee yeah roderick stewart because of his knee um so i was thinking morning star for some reason for the uh, Doug's question. So I got, again, got lucky on the order of the question. Yeah. Mor Morningstar was, um, 10, 11 is last year. He yeah. He was, one year, he was right? red shirting on the, on the 08 team, but yeah, he, uh, but he played the year he before was, he was the, on the, yeah, his senior year was the team that lost to VCU. That was his final year at Kansas. So Kyle, um, I, I know you're a contestant and you've been hit by the, you know, the order of questions will, will kill you in the past. It, does that make it worse than, than losing where, you know, you just wouldn't have known either answer? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Doug, I, uh, Derek has seen me make that face three times, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I feel you, I, I, uh, I, I knew Tian, I knew Stuart, I wrote those down, but, um, the order of the questions is a, is a killer and I haven't been able to avoid it for three years. So congrats on, on making it this far. And, uh, yeah, you'll be back next year with a vengeance, I'm sure. Thank you very much. Um, Man, I don't know how that one slipped by. This is one mm. of those things. Yep, just one of those that, you know, if you haven't heard it, it makes it a little tougher. But, guys, we appreciate you joining Trivia. Again, Doug, look forward to having you back next year. Kyle, look forward to seeing you on uh, another matchup upcoming. We can get you on as a guest analyst. And, uh, Ryan, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. That's uh, So we have the Cinderella of the, the tournament. We thought it was Garrett. Yeah. I, Ryan was hiding right under our nose the entire time. He ends up being the true Cinderella. Yeah, it's slipper fits. No other, no other way to put it. That's um, that's impressive. Uh, and he hasn't missed a question this whole time. Like let's. Yeah, that's the know? other thing. I mean, it, he's kind of been the under under the radar story because of how with with Doug and, and look, Doug is it, nobody's going to question his knowledge. He he was outstanding, 
But kind of the, the storyline with Doug started from the very beginning because his, I think it was his first round that went into the really hard questions. Mm-hmm. And he knew that question about Brown. And it was just like, who is this guy? Um, but Ryan, who has also not missed a question, as you said, um, has just impressed it. I don't know. It's it's just it's impressive, and and I'm glad. Um, you know, it it's. I I will say this. I feel a little better because it felt like Doug said he didn't say this exactly, but the way he worded it made me think that you know he could have sat there for an hour and probably not known Connor Tian. It sucks to lose. Don't get me wrong. I I, I hate you know when when. Except for Nick, I hate when these guys fall <laughs> short because um, we do know that they're really great at this at you know Jayhawk trivia and, and we know they love uh, the Jayhawks. Um, but it, it, for me, it, it feels you know it sucks when you know they would have gotten the other question right had the, the 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 order gone differently. But it does it also makes me feel a little better that it wasn't just like a total brain lapse. You know, we've had a couple where. They'll say a, a, a name, and then as soon as they say it, they know it's wrong, and they know what the right one is, and they just had a complete brain lapse. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because we were actually talking off air before because we what happens is we have just our list of questions. We just compile questions. We put them in categories, and then we kind of pair them up and everything, and then we don't really circle back to them till we get to that next day. We just pluck like a, a group of questions, put it on a sheet, and then we we try to double check them and, and go over everything with each other. Yeah. And we, we basically view like, okay, are, are we sure? Like, are these about the same difficulty and all those things? And we have discussions uh, about that. And we actually had a discussion with each other off air. We were like, are we sure? Is the Roderick Stewart one a lot harder than the Connor Tehan yeah. one? Yeah. We thought the Tehan one was easier. And it ended up that being the one that did him in because it was, uh, this is what you brought up. It, it was such a talking point during the tournament that Chris Tehan, his brother. Yep joined Connor T. Han, his other brother, yeah. and Mitch Lightfoot as one of the, whatever, I guess at that point, three, three Jayhawks yeah. to make multiple Final Fours under Bill Self. But I guess it makes sense if you think about it. It was probably unfortunate for Doug in that one because that's something that gets talked about a lot probably in local media more than national media. Like, how much does national media care about Connor T. Han? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But uh, local media, they would. And so he living in, in Fresno, that probably hurt him on that That's one. a good point. I didn't even think about that. Um you know the the big thing with Tian with Connor Tian, you know Chris Tian kind of the the red mullet, and then Connor Tian kind of had the shaggy hair. His big thing was he, um, and I, I can't even remember the guy's name, but he looked like the kid from High School Musical, and everybody was the 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 ladies were really, I mean everybody was a fan of Chris Tian, but that uh, Zach Efron, that the resemblance to Zach Efron mm-hmm. made him quite popular with the uh, with the coeds. I don't know if he was is quite as. Uh, as as Coach Self put it, the the mayor of the uh, of the triangle as uh, as is Chris, but um, yeah, Connor was was a popular guy, but that's kind of an obscure one because he never had like the players who have had multiple Final Fours under Self have never been like the Heinrich or Collison type popularity in terms of starters, NBA first round picks, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I I guess I would have felt a little bad if um, you know Doug said. Well, Connor Tian, because how the way we asked the question, we said Mitch Lightfoot became the second Jayhawk scholarship player. Connor Tian did start as a walk-on and then eventually earned, earned the scholarship. scholarship. So yeah. if he would have said, you know, well, I, I didn't, you know, I, I guess like 
I, I don't know. If he would have framed it some way, I, I just don't think he would have got it. Well, way, so I'm pretty sure scholarship or otherwise. But either way, he ended as a scholarship player. He made the second one as a scholarship well, player. So it, I, I'm not concerned. I'm going to say this: scholarship or otherwise, I'm pretty sure Connor Team was the first period to yeah. do it. So, so scholarship or otherwise, Connor Team was the first player to get to two Final Fours with Bill Self. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a fun RCST trivia matchup, and uh, now Ryan will await the winner of Eric and Andrew in our final Grade 8 matchup coming up tomorrow. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk and RCST Trivia, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Home Field Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, rockchalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros. Here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About half past four, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. And it's that time of the day because this is when we chose it to happen to go around the world with Adam. All right, we're going to start off in Canada. This kind of was a wild card. I hadn't planned on this one, but I just it came across uh, the, my tweet box. Um, a little bit, this is actually a, a weird, somewhat weird, but also um, vindication for me. Calling men bald counts as sexual harassment, according to a UK tribunal. Mm. So call me something different now. Okay. <laughs> uh, calling this from uh, the Vancouver Sun. Calling a male colleague bald isn't harmless banter now, but sexual harassment. This, according to is, or this is the conclusion of a British employment tribunal, who ruled that the using the word could be inherently related to sex and amount to a form of discrimination. Now, here's the weird part. This guy, now, look, anybody who is unfairly fired needs, they need to fight for justice. And anybody who unfairly fires a worker needs to be held accountable. I'm all for that. This, however, the bald part wouldn't have bothered me so much. They, he was fired, but it was the bald part that he was suing about. But the word, the, the, the term, some one of his coworkers... Uh, he's an electric uh, an electrician, and uh, he accused a colleague of calling him a fat, bald, c-word. Oh, and I think a everybody know. Sure, yeah, all right, we'll go with that c-word. Um, uh, if somebody called crazy me, person, that's not bald. Would not be the one that bothered me in that mm -hmm. uh, in that situation. Regardless, he sued and won. The all-male three-member tribunal panel agreed that Finn did not complain about, quote, industrial language of the shop floor, but the epithets, epithets related to his age and his hair. So I'm not that old, but I am still bald. I can't say that, though. I can't. No, you can't call me bald. Yeah. I don't know what you could call you me. You are uh, clean-shaved. I guess, but I'd still be bald term? even if I let my hair grow. <laughs> still a big, big spot you on the top. Are, uh, the hair does not grow. Well, I want to figure out what, what I should say here. You are deprived of hair? Yeah, sure, we'll call it that. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I have no trouble. Follically, is it follic? Follically challenged. Follically challenged. I have no trouble being called bald for the record. I uh, I am confident. I have. A, I think I have a nicely shaped head for a bald person. Um, 
And uh, something that my mother uh, adores is that uh, on the back of my head, there's a, a, a birth, a small red birthmark that's in the shape of a heart. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's, that's cute. Do you think that I would be a good bald person? I haven't seen your head yet. I'm sorry. I in, just said the B word. Um, in terms of like uh, your like. Mm-hmm. The scalpage? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what shape your head shape is. I don't my, know if you have any weird I have pointy, a hat on right any now. weird pointy spots or mm-hmm. anything like that. I've never tried it, so I don't, I don't really I've always have felt, urge to. You know those people that they, they're bald, but they're only bald on the Like, they have hair on the side, and then they grow a beard. Mm-hmm. So from the top, it looks like a figure eight. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> okay. I like that. I think uh, David Lawrence... Shout out to you. He's got a good. Bald, he's a great bald, bald guy. head of hair. Yeah, he's a he's a lack of I don't know. Yeah, he's a bald hero, mm-hmm. David Lawrence. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. Um, we're gonna move uh, on now to uh, Berlin, Germany. Now, firefighters, I uh, would like to celebrate them as heroes. These firefighters, not so much. And here's why: firefighters in the western German town of I can't pronounce that mm, received try. received a uh, Bocholt. B o c h o l t, Bocholt, Bocholt. Nah, I was hoping it was. That that was disappointing for me. I was hoping it was one of those towns where it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You no, know, no, no, like thirty letters. I don't. Yeah, um, they received an unusual distress call Friday from a local high school after teachers were unable to open a safe containing the questions for a final year exam that students were due to take. Firefighters raced to the scene to find that the lock had jammed and set about sawing it open to uh, open the safe. The fire department said that way the students were able to sit to uh, sit their exam with about an hour's delay. While teachers cheered the firefighters for saving the day, the reaction from students was mixed. Some of them would probably have enjoyed a sunny day off instead, said uh, fire department spokesman Matthias Haney. You no nerds say refuse say no. Let the kids. Just give them all A's or whatever mm-hmm. letter grade you get, whatever mark you get in in Germany. Ah. No, you, you get the top score. Congra- ah. Congratulations! No. It's it's students against the teachers, and then it's unfair for the teachers to have the assistance of the local fire brigade. Mm-hmm. Do they get the? Yeah, I, I wonder about that grade. Is it the A with the umlaut on top of it, which is pronounced A, I believe. A without the umlaut is is ah. So I don't know what they get there. Um. Yeah, yeah, that seems a little excessive. Either that or just, you know, why don't you come up with a test that doesn't need to have the answers locked away in a damn safe? I, be- I bet you'd be surprised how common that is. Like, uh, okay, see, what I'm envisioning here is that it's like this bank safe, no, I'm and sure then you got to punch in the code, yeah, I'm and sure then you got to twist like around where, the thing. Yeah, like where people keep their... Like, like come the, on. like You yeah. can't just put it in like a locked cabinet or something. They're serious over there, man. So silly. Um, I don't know. It, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if some American. Um, I don't know. I remember I, one of my finals. I um, how can I put this? You I cheated? Was, no, no, oh. no. I was the student. Um, teachers and uh, well, I got along with my teachers, but they were how you say frustrated with me. Okay. And a lot of my classmates were how you say frustrated with me as well. I was the student. Did you ever have the kid that? Like, all like didn't really do anything, but could just just knew things and could do well. Yeah, yeah, of course that happens in every class. Yeah, you, so you get a guy who doesn't really go to class or doesn't do the homework, but he aces the test. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I kind of skated by with straight C's in high school because I never did any of the homework, and occasionally I didn't go to class. 
but you learned everything you needed for the test in the class, so why do I need to do the homework when I can ace the test? <laughs> um, regardless, I uh, I remember one, just to, just to get a C, I, I went to my math class my sophomore, junior year. Um, I calculated exactly what I needed to uh, to finish with a C in the class. I answered that many questions on the final and left. And Were you worried at all that what if you would have missed one of the questions? Did you give yourself at least some breathing room? No, it's math. Okay. I knew I knew if I had them right or not. You, you break down the problem. Huh? You, I mean, you know at the bottom if you got the answer right or not. Yeah, what if you had the wrong formula? I That's a good point. Um, no, I felt I felt confident enough. I get my parents took hell because it, it was. Yeah, I gave them hell because they, you know, had high expectations of me <laughs> and wanted me to achieve and. Which is funny because we heard the story last week that your mom was so happy that you were just pushing the right and wrong button for the trivia. She was so happy you know? for that. <laughs> Maybe that, that just lowered her, the expectations. That made her day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We're moving now to uh, Portland, Maine. Um, mm, my the, second uh, favorite Portland. Is Oregon the other? No. Okay. I'm not telling you the first. All right. Um the uh, salty language on hundreds of main license plates, one step closer to being removed from the road. Um, Maine Secretary of State released draft rules Thursday night that would eliminate references to private parts, uh, various adult acts, mm-hmm. and profanities that proliferated after the state severely loosened language restrictions on so-called vanity license plates in 2015. The rough and foul language on the plates led to a steady stream of complaints. It was all too much even for a Secretary of State who previously served as the director of the ACLU of Maine, which has fought for First Amendment rights uh, to freedom of expression. uh, Incitement to violence, profanity, ethnic, racial, religious, or other slurs or references to illegal or criminal activity, all of which unfortunately can be seen on Maine registration plates today, are all directly contrary to public interest. That I'm fine with. Um, like, I don't want incitement for violence. I'm fine with profanity. Um, slurs, absolutely not. They, they have no place anywhere in society. And, you know, in no license place or no exception. Um, but, uh, yeah, I... Um, so, I'm fine with that. Except the profanity. Or if you may, you know, if you want to make... It's like, you know, there's the... If you want to make a... a, a, a lewd reference you're just forcing kids to you're forcing parents to explain things to their children that they may not want to till later i uh i'm curious what they were allowing before well that that, so it came so um a federal judge any examples yeah so um the uh there was a there was a ruling and no they did not give examples Mm. uh but there was a ruling um that um I can't. I, the, this story does not have um, uh, this rule does not have um, exactly what. But essentially, at one point, it was ruled that putting something on your license plate is freedom of speech, right? Right. But um, including, you know, freedom of speech does not include like the old example is always you don't yelling. You know, faking a fire call in um, in a movie theater, in a, yeah. in a crowded theater is not protected under freedom of speech. So basically, um, they now trim. And in 2020, a federal judge ruled that California 
could not enforce a ban on vanity license plates it considers offensive to good taste and decency. Okay, I, so, I'm seeing what I, I'm just like looking through images online. Yeah, like this is. I always thought there was a restriction on this. I I always thought there was like at least limitations of what you could and couldn't say. I'm seeing one that says bleep yeah. Yeah, on yeah, it, yeah. On a BMW. So, I've seen one that I don't know. This one might still be allowed, but it says I tooted. Yeah, yeah, just be the horn though. Um. But uh, I would say, or may, maybe they're a gastroenterologist. Mm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I I think this could, you know, it. Um, so you you can't. So the state can't just come forward. Mm, one and, has get bleeped. Oh wow, <laughs> the state can't just come forward and say this is offensive. Therefore, you can't do it. But they have to outline specific rules. It can't be a slur. It can't be an incitement of violence. I get all that. Um, the F word, look, I want to be clear. I don't have children. I may react. I've, I have nephews. I may react differently if I have kids someday and I'm driving around and I'm seeing a license plate that now will make me giggle a little bit. But maybe if I have kids someday, I'll I'll feel differently and I'll think, ooh, that shouldn't be on a license plate. But for now, go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Just no slurs, no incitements of violence. Yeah, Other there's a really that, bad one on here. All I would say, uh, the only way I could say it on the radio is say bleep bleep. But uh, yeah, there's I, I'm surprised those have been allowed. So actually, I, I don't mind these regulations and rules coming in because that's a little excessive, the one that I just saw. So this next one uh, is West Palm Beach, Florida. This is actually pretty incredible. Um, a passenger in a small plane off of Florida's Atlantic coast used the cockpit ra- co- cockpit radio. Do you think cockpit would be allowed on yes. a license plate mm-hmm. in Maine? Uh, radio to make an urgent plea for help after he realized that, the, uh, realized that the pilot was too sick to handle the controls. So he's on there. The pilot goes, uh-oh. And so now this guy, and he's, and he's not a pilot. So I've got a serious situation here, he said on t- he said Tuesday. My pilot has gone incoherent, and I have no idea how to fly the airplane. An air traffic controller in Fort Pierce responded, asking if he knew the position of the single-engine Cessna 280. I have no idea. I can see the coast of Florida in front of me, and I have no idea, he said. Twin controls enable a Cessna 280 to be steered from the passenger seat. Speaking very calmly, the controller told him to maintain wings level and try to follow the coast, either north or southbound. Minutes passed before the controllers were able to locate the plane, which was then heading north over Boca Raton. Then the man's voice seemed to fade, so the controller in Fort Pierce asked for his cell phone number to enable controllers at Palm Beach International Airport to communicate with him more clearly. Air traffic controller Robert Morgan, a 20-year veteran, took over at that point, talking the passengers down. To a safe uh, landing uh, upon his landing, they said kudos to the new pilot. That is a very scary situation. I, I mean, I'd be done. Like, I, I was just putting myself in that guy's, like, okay, it's one thing, I, and this would still be, obviously, you know, uh, nerve-wracking, whatever word you want to use. If you had, like, an hour left on the flight, and, like, you had to, okay, I'm going to sit in here, you're going to tell me what to do, we have time to prepare, um, now I know I'm coming up on this, I can start to descend. He said he saw the the coast. That means he didn't have much time here between, you know, getting into the seat, getting everything going and everything to where, like, okay, like, it, it's showtime. We're about to have to land here. Well, I think he could have, by that point, I think it, he could have landed basically anywhere they found safe. Mm. Like, it, it wasn't like there's Florida we're landing right now. They could have been, I don't know how to land, so give me another out, you know, 
we have however much, you know, whatever on the fuel. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but there is something. It, it's it's wild. Um, he, we, it was down on the tarmac. I don't know if Palm Beach International Airport is where they were planning on uh, landing anyway, but uh, it's where they wound up. Um, good And good for them. I, I say kudos to both of them. Um, I would almost rather be, maybe I'm weird like this, I would almost rather, I don't know, it's easy for me to say this because my feet are literally touching the ground right now. I feel like I'd rather be the guy in the plane than the guy trying to talk him down. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Well, yeah. You just feel like you'd be at fault rather, if I'd something be, happened? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be responsible for my own life than someone else's. Huh. Interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. That'd be very nerve-wracking and scary. I, it's kind of weird, though, because I, I thought they usually fly with two. I guess, was this a small flight? Was this a small yeah, plane? Yeah, it's just the two of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. But still, good yeah, for that guy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's a situation where, like, it was his buddy. All right, wait. If it was his buddy's plane I can and his only buddy make was this pilot, joke. I don't know. I can only make this joke because everyone is is okay. So I'll be clear about that. Um do you think this was like a training exercise, <laughs> like at all, like to where the the guy they're like, hey, we got to get this guy's pilot's license. Let's see what he's made of. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That'd be pretty mean. Yeah, that would. Talk about tossing you into the deep end. Yeah, dude. seriously. He's it's like, like the pilot. Yeah, exactly. Fine. All right, just get up there and pretend to pass out. It's like we'll the see way. It. Yeah, it's like the way more serious version of take the, uh, you know, you take the training wheels off the bike and then yeah. you're. you're Holding the, the hold kid them. from the back, and then you let him go, but don't yeah. tell him. It's like way worse than oh, that. Oh man, but. yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad everybody's okay. That that would be terrifying. No matter what, whether you're the guy trying to teach him or whether you're the guy in the plane, the only guy in that situation who's not scared was the pilot because he was unconscious. All right, is that it? Uh, no, we got one more. If we Let's got do time. It. We got yes, time. We do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a homeowner. This would scare mm-hmm. you. It would certainly scare me. This is from the UPI. A California couple. Returned home after a trip. You got a trip coming up mm-hmm. to find their inside of their house uh, had been taken over by hundreds of birds. Oh, Gary no. and Patty Redmeyer said they, re- they returned to their Reading home after a trip to Sacramento and discovered hundreds of swallows had apparently flown into the house via the chimney. The Redmeyer said that a neighbor who stopped by their home to feed their cat, I'm sure the cat was loving it, um, about 14 hours before they arrived home, reported there appeared to be about 20 birds in the house. As we pulled up, we were thinking, you know, 20 birds or so, that's no big deal. We opened the door, and it's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> uh, Gary Redmeyer told KRCR-TV, there were birds flying everywhere. It was crazy. We were ducking and dodging. The couple said this was the first incident of its kind in their 30 years of living at the home. The Rettmeyers hired... I would hope this was the first incident yeah, like this. Yeah, you wouldn't want this to be a regular... Oh, birds? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that happens every it's, Tuesday. It's, it's May. Yeah, it's bird season in our house. <laughs> the Rettmeyers hired workers with Serve Pro to clear out the home, but they will have to stay with their daughter in Sacramento for a while. Um, you can't get, he called it bird stuff, but we know what he means, out of the furniture. Uh, so all of the furniture oh, is gone. Sucks. All of the carpet is gone. The blinds are I wonder if that's something you can claim like on, on insurance. <laughs> right? On insurance? Can you claim that on, like, uh, that's a good question. Um, Apparently swallows, I'm looking this up, they go 31 to 40 miles per hour. So that would be scary. They'd be oh, darting around. Yeah, no, forget that. I will say, as far as if you were to say a bunch of animals got into my house when I was gone, that would be on the lighter side. 
Yeah, can you imagine coming home and there's a hundred bears in your house? Right, or like coyotes yeah. or, gosh, snakes. That'd be yeah, terrifying. No, yeah. Well, no, that happens every day in Australia. Yes, but like with snakes, it's too, it's like, are we sure we got them all? Like, you don't know because they <laughs> hide, you know what I mean? At least with like bears or coyotes or the birds, it's like, it's very obvious where they are. Have you ever had mice? Um, Not like, I don't think ever in the house, in the garage it's happened before and then you place we, the mouse traps out. We and had stuff. mice once. It was after, um, well, that, that we had actually just come home from a trip. And so we don't know if they had burrowed like into our luggage during the trip. And it was just two of them. And we, and we took care of them. Um, and the cats outside were happy. Um, but we also, it was the weekend uh, we put up Christmas decorations. And so it's entirely possible that they had just scattered in through the open doors. We were carrying Christmas decorations. And regardless, I was up um, at like midnight. And I was rummaging through the pantry and I moved a box of cereal and there was and it, it took me a second and I go and then it makes you jump well no that's, it didn't really? even make me jump I was just more perplexed I'm like <laughs> is that a decoration and I'm like no that's a weird spot for a decoration it's behind all the cereal and mm. I go oh that's a mouse so I go to wake up my parents and I go there's a mouse in the pantry and they go all right <laughs> Go back to sleep. And, and well, then my dad was like, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. And then so, you ate your Rice Krispies, and it yeah, was no, weird because there the were thing. some I, uh, chocolate Rice yeah. Krispies in there, but I, you ate uh, them anyway. There was a lot of uh, going out to eat that week. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, never never 100 birds, and, and knock on wood, that streak continues. He's Adam Dravetta. That's Around the World with Adam. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Uh, we talked earlier about the KU football schedule, and you know one thing that we mentioned, we saw from, and we weren't sure on the credibility of that one was that the Chiefs could be playing Week One at the Houston Texans. Turns out, whoever this, said that is a big fat liar. Yeah, this comes directly from the Chiefs on Twitter. So, you know, this a little more credible, right? Um, I'd say that. Yeah, Week One, they are going to play. At Arizona, which is a shame because if you got, I would like if you caught them in Week Ten, that's a guaranteed win. right. But Arizona's going to start seven and one and finish, you know, eight and nine. Yeah, that's just the Cliff Kings Cliff Kingsbury special. Um, the game is going to be a Sunday game at uh, it'll be the afternoon game, three twenty-five Central Time on CBS. CBS in an NFC stadium. Interesting. Yeah, I guess so. It says duel in the desert is what the uh, post on um, social says. You would have been born for this, but you would have been less than a year old because you were born in January of 95, right? Yes. One of my all-time favorite plays and, and favorite plays of a lot of uh, um, Chiefs fans uh, because it was so random. In 1995, the Chiefs... That was the year that, that ended with the really upsetting loss uh, to the Colts in the playoffs when the Chiefs had home field advantage and Steve Bono threw four interceptions and Lynn Elliott missed three field goals and the Chiefs lost by three points. We However, don't talk about Bone, no, no. One no. of those, one of those wins. <laughs> that was great. Uh, you might not get that reference, but that was wonderful. I'm guessing it's we don't talk about. Um, it's from the in, um, Encanto. Encanto, yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't talk Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, dude. If you got that reference, that that slapped. Anyway. Um, it was well done. I was yeah. I'm impressed. Um. Anyway, uh, so they played at Arizona, and that was back when the Cardinals were just a wretched team, and it was a guaranteed win. Um, 
And so they, at one point, Steve Bono, who I think still holds the record for longest, I think at the time it was the longest touchdown run in Chiefs history, and I think now it still stands as the longest quarterback run maybe in NFL history. They, but There was like a third and short, I think, and Bono just took it on this bootleg to the right. You can find it. You can, if you Google it, you can find it on YouTube. And Bono um, just takes a bootleg to the right and goes like 75 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> it was awesome. It was almost, in fact, um, I'm almost certain it still is the record for quarterback rush rushing touchdown in yards um, because I think Daniel Jones was going to break it before he tripped on nothing at like the 10-yard line. Remember that play? Yes. He got tripped by the turf monster, and uh, I think that would have broken Steve Bono's. Um, so, yeah, Steve Bono just takes off for like 75 yards for a touchdown in Arizona. So now every time the Chiefs play the Cardinals, um, I uh, that's what I think about because it was, it was immaculate. Because he, let me put it this way, Steve Bono was not an athletic quarterback. No, no, he was very much in the, I mean, a pocket quarterback among pocket quarterbacks. Um, we have another release. Week three, the Chiefs will be on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. So this is the Chiefs open to the season. Which the, the Colts are up there for best now that um And Matt Ryan's there instead of Carson say, Wentz. That's and, an upgrade, right? And, but they already still, had a good defense and a great running game. Now with Russell Wilson, we talked last year about how the Broncos might have been the best best non um QB non QB roster. roster in the NFL. Now that they've added Russell Wilson, even though Matt Ryan is a very above, not just competent, a good quarterback, um, I think his MVP caliber days are behind him, but still a fine quarterback, I actually think the Colts might be up there for yeah. best non-quarterback roster. I would agree. Um, so that means week one, they're at Arizona, team who historically starts well and was a playoff team. Week two, you're at home on a Thursday night on a short week against the Chargers, um, who I, I think a lot of people are expecting to be a playoff team. They've got a great quarterback. Week three... At Indianapolis, a team that a lot of people are going to be picking to the playoffs. Week four at Tampa Bay, a team who's going to be one of the Super Bowl favorites. Week five, you're at home against the Raiders. That should be more winnable. Then week six, you have the Buffalo Bills, who are maybe the Super Bowl favorite right now. This schedule is brutal, man. It'll be something. And, and honestly, like as we're going through here, I don't think there really is going to be a weak pocket because the Chiefs, are you're scheduled to play the NFC West this year, you have the AFC West twice. Those were the two best divisions in football yep, last year. Yep. So you have the two best divisions that you're playing. You're playing all the division winners from last year because that's how it lines up. You're playing the Tampa Bay Bucs. I was going to say your, one, your one-off is, a, is, a, is a, is a game against Tampa. And what's um, the other division they play this year? AFC, well, I don't know. Uh, well, it'd be the South. If they're playing the Colts and the Texans, then it's the AFC South. Yeah. So I guess that's that's what you have to look forward to. At least you get the Jaguars, Jacksonville, and Houston, and the Texans. And um, but outside of that, but Tennessee's that's a good. brutal schedule. Tennessee's yeah. good, and Indianapolis is good. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I I think that this Chiefs team, I I still think they're good enough to win mm -hmm. twelve to thirteen. That's the games. thing; they're still going to be favored. In every most every team's going to say, "Boy, the Chiefs are tough." Like it, it, it goes both ways. I don't think I'm picking them to win thirteen games, but it's kind of like what we talked about in February where we were looking at the Jayhawks, and we both kind of said, well, if you told me, if we woke up from a coma and they're in the Final Four, we wouldn't be shocked, but we wouldn't predict it. If 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 we if it comes around to January and the playoffs are getting rolling and the Chiefs are 13-4, and four, I won't be stunned. No. 
Um, but I think we're we're looking at another kind of eleven and six kind of year. Yeah, and that's the thing. You don't know how good some of these teams are gonna be. It's it's nice to say on paper that this team looks really good, but like what if the Titans, what if things just blew up? Or what if somebody like some good quarterback along the way gets injured? Yeah, yeah. You just don't know. Yeah, um, that's true. And and look, I mean, last year was a perfect example. Um, how tough did everybody, you know, the Chiefs were three and four. And I don't think it was their next game, but they were three and four with at least with a couple weeks from there, the Packers were looming. Um, and it turned out you were able to win that game, what, 13 to seven or 10 mm-hmm. to seven or whatever it was because uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't play. So things do come up. But I will say there's now a lot of pressure on that early home game versus the Char- I mean, any of those any of those early games, because all of a you- sudden, if you. If you lose to the Cardinals in week one on the road, it's like, you know, in, in a vacuum, losing at Arizona is not a big deal. But then what happens if you lose again at home for the second straight year to the Chargers? Now you're 0-2 with at the Colts and the at the Bucks the next two weeks. Like, would you take— A lot of pressure early on. Ignoring the rest of the schedule, would you take a 4-2? and two? Just knowing uh, the division's going to be three home, three away, would you take a 4-2 and two division record? Yes, 100%. I probably would, too. Especially, well— like I would assume that we would both agree if if four and two happens, the team you swept was probably the Raiders. Yeah. Um. Now, if you could get to a position where you're sweeping either the Chargers or the 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 uh, Broncos, which would mean you're four and two in the division, plus you've got a two and zero record against one of the other division contenders, I'd really take that. But four and two, I think, would be a very fine record in this. Um. I you know this doesn't feel like a five and one division to me. No, I don't think so either. I I would take four and two and I'd run. Okay, uh, I did want to talk a little about something that we've talked about with some of our guests. The KU football over under win total set at two and a half by Bet Rivers for the twenty twenty two season. We were talking a lot about it with Zach there. What would you take on on the over under? I'd I'd go over. Mm-hmm. I I think the the likelihood is this: three most likely, two second most likely. One third most likely, and then four, but I don't think four is as outrageous as people think. Um, you know, I think I really don't think it is. It would take like here's the formula for four. You have look. You have first off at this point in the. I know we talked a little bit uh, maybe a week or two ago, and you brought it up again with Zach. Is this a year one or a year zero with Lightbulb? I'm fine if somebody makes the year one argument. But you have to add the caveat. They need to win their their mm-hmm. FCS game. They have to win that game. I mean, you say that, but what if you win four games and you lost Look, it? And that means you have a bunch of a Big Twelve wins. I would take that, but that's not but how. Then you're that's not be, how you get to yeah, four. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and also, that would be infuriating because then it's like, are you serious? Like you if beat that's all, all these we had, teams, yeah. right? No, I. I. This isn't North Dakota State. This is who is it? Te- Tennessee, Tennessee Tech. Yeah. You have to win that. If you're going to win four, really, if you're going to get over two and a half, you got to beat Tennessee Tech. Mm-hmm. I think you have to beat Duke. That's a program that's probably equal to you, and it's at home. And it's and anybody who listened last fall and listened to my theory on um, home early games, I think that smells Duke versus Kansas at, in football. Smells like an 11 a.m. game to me. So I think you've got that. I, I think the, the road team on 11 a.m., is immediately at a disadvantage in college football. So I think that, we don't know the times yet, but I assume that will be an 11 And so I think you should beat Duke. Um, so I think what happens is they beat Tennessee Tech, they beat Duke, and they grab a, um, you know, they grab a, a Big 12 win along the way. Um, 
again, you know, no matter what, they're going to be unless something, you know, unless they they start off shockingly like four and zero or five and zero or something, they're going to be dogs in every in every conference game. Um, but I think I think they still at least grab one, and I think they they start the season two and zero, and I think they finish three and nine. Um, but I don't think four and eight is just this crazy, um, outlandish, you know, thought either. I, no. I don't, I don't think, um, it happens, but it's not outrageous to, to, I can find two, I can find two conference victories for you. Yes. Yeah, so, well, and, and I don't even know if like, okay, I could like tell you that, oh, it's this one and that one. And, and I, maybe I will in a second here, but, um, I, I would more so just throw the numbers at it. And here's what I'm saying. So last year. Again, like this is also partially you could say, well, they were figuring it out as the season went on, so you should have more games that that are close than they were last year. But even if we just go off of last year, you had between the Oklahoma game at home, the Texas game in Austin, the TCU game in Fort Worth, the West Virginia game in home, at home. Those are on the road. I'm sorry, no at home. No, it was at home. West Virginia was um, the uh, senior night. That's four games right there in Big 12 play. And again, you can make the argument that because a lot of those were at the back half of the season that – they're going to have more close games this year, but they went one and three in those close games. Let's say you just work back to, because on average, if you say that, you know, you win half of your close games, if you go two and two there, that's your second big 12 win. Yep. Now, again, if you want me to identify like who would be most likely, it's tough to say you'd go on the road and, and beat West Virginia, but also West Virginia is probably going to be one of the other lower schools in the big 12 at home against Iowa state. Iowa state has kind of crushed you of late, but Iowa State lost a lot of players. Yeah, I think that's a winnable game. Home against TCU. Again, we've seen them play so close to TCU, including last year and many of the recent years. Um, at home against Texas. We we just saw them beat Texas last year. On the road against Texas Tech. Uh, they almost beat Texas Tech on the road two years ago. They beat Texas Tech at home, uh, I, what, three years ago? So I'm going to say this, too. I, I think K-State is still clearly, I'm not just talking historically, I'm talking at this moment, K-State is a superior program to K-State. Yeah, they dogged KU but last it is, year. 35-10. Look, man, it's time to stop being so damn scared of them. Now, yeah, I'll say this. Chris Kleiman is not Bill Snyder. Imagine. And, and the the big the, the K-State's win total right now is six. Mm-hmm. I might That's actually, I think, a perfect number for them. K-State is a, is a definitive perennial bull team. But they are not a definitive top 10 team. They're not the team that comes in and beats you 56-7 to every time anymore. So... You know, you, you can't keep, you know, dumping down your leg about K-State. They, they, they're beatable now. Yeah, and I think, imagine that scenario. KU is like 3-8. and eight. They beat Duke. They beat Tennessee Tech. They win one other Big 12 game. They're heading into the game at in Manhattan to finish out the season. And at that point, it's kind of, if you win that game, it's playing with house money because at that point, you've already established that you hit the over on the season. Um if you only win two wins again, then, you know, I, I don't think people are going to be completely displeased, but there probably will be some chatter of, is it stalling out or that we didn't see as much progress that we would have liked in year two. Obviously, if you win less than that, it is going to be a conversation about, you know, some of those things like, um, you know, what happened here, what went wrong, all these things. But if you have three headed in that last game and you win that last game, it is just house money on top of it winning on the road at K-State. You would head into that offseason at that point so with four juice. wins, the most you had in, in 13 years, beating your rival for the first time in, in however long. That would be such an unbelievable thing. And, and there's so many things that have to happen to get there. I just That scenario is, is very fun in my mind yeah. if that possibly happened. But yeah, I, I do think four is a possibility. I just... I'm leaning three. Three and nine is the record that feels right to me. I st- that's still the over on the season. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would take the over because I think three is the most 
likely scenario. And I agree with Zach. And maybe I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm I'm jumping to too many conclusions, but it seemed like Zach feels four is less likely than we feel it is. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I do. We are, you know, we're all on the same. I think all three of us are on the same page that that two is more likely than four. Um, but I, I don't think four is this outrageous, crazy number to consider. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, uh, how about these? The rest of the the Big Twelve ones. This is interesting to me. Oklahoma is the highest in the Big Twelve. It's at nine. Who'd you it, say otherwise? Oh, no, oh, no, 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 it's no, not no, that it's Oklahoma. Being, it's that it's nine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, what, that speaks to where the Big Twelve is at right yeah, now, we'll right? Yeah, we'll see what Venables brings to the table. But like, for instance, last year I think Oklahoma was ten and a half. 11? Yeah, Oklahoma had kind of become the consistent, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, an NFL comparison. But, yeah. but even then, like, I, I think Oklahoma State last year was like nine, and they were second or third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This you, you, year, could, you could always bank on Oklahoma being, their win totals being 10 or ten or more. So, on the future. Oklahoma's nine. Uh, Baylor and Texas are at eight and a half. Oklahoma State is at eight. Iowa State's seven and a half. TCU's at seven. K-State at six. Texas Tech and West Virginia are both at five and a half. I would. Does the Texas number feel like Vegas knows something? Because that feels high. But I also think, where's the money going with betting Texas? Is the public going Texas because of the name brand still? Or are they actually going to hammer the under because Texas has been dumped on all offseason up to and including the draft when they didn't get a player selected? Um so part of me wonders, is that number as high as it is because people are going to, Vegas is thinking, um, well, no, it's just that, you know, people are always going to bet Texas it's a big name brand. Or do they actually think that, that that's, you know, the, the number to look at for Texas? That's a wonderful question. I think it also has to do with the fact that, like, this does feel like one of those years to me where maybe it's it's not Oklahoma, which it wasn't last year. It was Oklahoma State versus Baylor in the Big 12 title. Just because you have some questions there, um, Caleb Williams no longer there and stuff, that it is open this year. I I kind of, I can get on board with the Texas thing from the standpoint of they have all these five stars. If they finally, you know, develop them and, and B. John Robinson's one of the best players in the country, then it makes sense. But again, like, I, I don't want to bet on that because of the fact that they consistently underachieve there. They haven't made a, a an upgrade at coach since... Whoever they got, whoever left, or I don't know if you know if, if he was fired or what. Whatever the situation was that brought Mac Brown to Texas was the last time I think they made a coaching upgrade. Yeah, it was a firing before that. Um, I, that's a good point. I I don't know. I don't like, know. I, I think like, at best, I think Sarkeesian is a step to the side. But here's the problem with it, and and this speaks to again that the highest number is nine in the Big Twelve. You can poke holes at literally all of these teams. Yeah, that's true. Oklahoma, you can say you lost Lincoln Riley, you and, lost and your... with him every good every good uh, skill player. Yeah, Caleb Williams is you know I, I don't know where he is in the Heisman. I'd imagine he's going to be top five to ten preseason and betting odds for for winning the Heisman. He's gone, and and you lose a bunch of other players. You lose some pro players, so forth. Uh, Baylor was that kind of a one year wonder last year, and you lose some more players there. You lose your quarterback. Texas, again, constantly underachieving. Oklahoma State was such a veteran unit last year. I mean, yeah. they had a bunch of 23-, 24-year-olds in that lineup that you lose out this year. Iowa State, you lost a ton of guys, including your four-year starting quarterback and Brock Purdy. Are they really going to be an eight-win team or something? This will be a very big year for Matt Campbell in terms of will he continue to be a guy that that bigger programs, that, that – 
the 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 speculation puts him into bigger programs, um, or has that time gone by? Because if Iowa State comes out and throws out a four and eight, five and seven record, nobody's talking about Matt Campbell mm-hmm. for big jobs anymore. It, it, it's this is the time where he can supplant himself as. Now I'm not saying they need to go ten and two, but if they go seven and five, I think Matt Campbell can really declare himself as a legitimate piece of college football coaching furniture. And then TCU, they go just 5-7 and seven last year. You fire Gary Patterson, the best coach in the history of your program. What are they going to be? Kansas State, as we mentioned. Um, you know, they, they've they had kind of a they gradual decline from Bill Snyder, but and still lost, constantly a bowl team. But they, they went a bowl last year, mm-hmm. but they made a bowl last year, but they also um, and won that bowl, uh, but they also lost, they lost at least their senior quarterback. Yeah. And we all saw what they looked like without Skylar Thompson. Yeah. Now I I think they're they're the one that I feel steady about. Whereas like like they might have it's weird they might have the highest floor of all these teams I just mentioned except for maybe like Baylor and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but the ceiling might not be to where those are. And then Texas Tech and West Virginia, like you could convince me either of those could be three win teams. You could convince me either of those win seven games. It's just it's weird figuring out the Big Twelve this year. And maybe that is for the best for Kansas because maybe it's it's more. Uh, available for some of these wins than in other years. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.